evening, and how is everybody doing this evening? Welcome to another episode of TXR, show number 111 to be exact. I am your host, Invader, and we have a very special show for you this evening. Joining us tonight is Thomas Mahler, game director over at the very talented Moon Studios. Thomas, thanks for joining us. How's things over at your end? <laughs> Fantastic. So, yeah, thank you for inviting me. It's delighted to talk to you guys. Awesome, awesome. Yep. Pleasure having you on. But before we move on, let me introduce the show panel. Jeremy, uh, you need deep in snow yet? Oh, yeah. Really deep in snow. It's gonna. It, we have a big, big storm moving in here shortly, but I uh, appreciate you, Thomas, jumping on short notice. Definitely, definitely. Hey, Centurion, how's things over in the desert? Yeah, wet and rainy, but still able to walk around in a t-shirt. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, Shock, hey, you charged and ready to go for tonight's show? Uh, yeah, just uh, beat uh, Metroid Prime for the first time. Uh, what? Two seconds ago, so <laughs> nice. charged and ready. <laughs> it's been uh, holding over my head since I was, like, you know, 14. Never been <laughs> All right. I'm ready right. to go. Cool. And uh, hey, Southie, how you been doing? I know you've been, uh, I hope you've been taking it easy on the weekend considering all the uh, lifting you've been doing. So, uh oh. Uh -oh. Uh, I think he uh, that mute put mute. <laughs> Can you guys hear me? Yeah, oh, there yeah. you are. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I heard what you're saying. Yeah, I, man, I can sit here and cry about it all all weekend. But yeah, it, <laughs> my my back is sore, my arms are tired. But uh, yeah, I'm. I, hey, listen, I'm just glad to have Thomas here joining us, and uh, you know, it's a pleasure as always to to converse with him and interact and you know pick his brain a little bit. Definitely, definitely. And uh, before we go, uh, just so you know, uh, Megatron will not be able to make it because of scheduling conflict. It's a little earlier than how we usually do things. And uh, Tim, well, he may or may not be joining. He's a little under the weather at the moment, but we'll see. Now, before we get into the panel's questions, Thomas, I would like to begin by asking you about your background in the game industry. What have you previously worked on and what are your duties as a game director? Well, do you want the full story? <laughs> I've been well, whatever you feel like, like sharing. I mean, I, I've been working in games for, what, like 15 years now or so. Um, I actually started in a very different path. Like, I always loved games, even as a child, right? Like, I was the, the kind of kid who grew up. My first computer uh, where I played games was a Commodore 64 when I was, like, four years old. Um, and I always loved computer games and so on. Um, but I actually studied traditional sculpture because my way into the industry, because I, I'm living in Austria and Vienna, and there is basically no industry here, right? So my way into the into the industry was was by basically saying, hey, I want to be an artist in the industry. And I have always like I've been the kid in school who was constantly drawing and so on, right? And so after my school stuff was done, I uh, I went to art school and studied traditional sculpture. Then I worked on my portfolio and so on. And then things went a little bit crazy with, you know, like I posted my portfolio online. I got um, job offers from places like Disney and Blizzard and so on. And I decided to join Blizzard. Um, actually, before that, um, for a while, I 
I worked at little outsource studios and, and worked on a couple of games, um, just doing smaller stuff, um, like just delivering models for certain games and so on. And then I joined Blizzard, I worked in StarCraft 2. And that was an interesting time because when I finished the work on Wings of Liberty, um, that was that was right around that time when uh, indie games became a big thing, right? When uh, when Microsoft did the whole um, Xbox Live Arcade thing and so on, and games like Braid came out and um, Limbo came out and um, Castle Crashers and so on. So suddenly, you know, like indie games became a business, right? Like you could actually do that. And while I was waiting on getting my visa to actually go to Blizzard, um, I started prototyping um, just games, right? Like I, I taught myself how to program and so on and, and prototype some games. And um, and around that time when I finished up Wings of Liberty, you know, I, I talked to one of one of my friends that I knew at the time and that who, who then became my co-founder for the studio. And yeah, we showed those prototypes around. Um, that in the end became Ori and the Blind Forest. And yeah, that's that's kind of like how everything started for me. Wow, wow. Now, what would be some of your responsibilities as a game director? Um, well, everything. <laughs> I'm basically, um, I'm mostly doing uh, a ton of design work. Um, so for Blind Forest, like the levels that you jump through, that was basically me, you know? Um, yeah, but my, and, and you know, I, I write the stories. Um, for Blind Forest, the story was mine. For Will of the Wisps, we actually had other people also jump on board um, for the story tasks um, because yeah. there's also another project that they're working on that is there. Holy shit. <laughs> My bad. Something just exploded. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for, for, for Will of the Wisp, we actually shared the responsibility on story because there is also another secret project that is yet unannounced that we're working on that I'm also heavily involved with. Um, and yeah, I'm just looking over everything. I'm looking at the design. I have to make sure that, hey, I lay out the structure of the game, um, that I oversee everything constantly on a daily basis, that I'll you know check up with art on making sure, hey, that the art stuff looks good. I make sure that I scream at tech if something doesn't work at all this nice things. All right. You, all got, right. you got to make sure that music is good. You got you to gotta talk to Gareth and make sure it's up to snub. <laughs> Gareth is actually oh, fairly on. painless. <laughs> Gareth is actually fairly painless to work with. Like <laughs> Gareth usually is the kind of artist who, you know, you he he gets access to all our stuff and then he kind of like shovels off into his hole, right? And then months later he comes back with like, oh, here's a couple of tunes I wrote then. And it just so happens to be a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guy's yeah. a genius. Yeah, Gareth is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's he's a great guy. Great guy. We had him on the show actually almost a year ago. And, I actually uh, listened to that podcast um right before I came on the show. Yeah. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now let's uh get right into some of our questions here. I'll I'll kick it off. So uh, Thomas, after the release and success of Ori and the Blind Forest, how did you approach going into working on the sequel, uh, Will of the Wisps? What were important focuses going into the, the development for it? Okay, well, uh, can you give you a little bit of that inside story? So initially uh, in the team, I was the person who didn't want to do it. Um, I felt like with Blind Forest, hey, we did a nice thing and 
because I'm a creative person, right? I was like, hey, I want to do something completely different. So after we shipped Blind Forest for some time, I was already prototyping on new stuff, on new games with, that were in completely new genres and so on. And then at TGAs that year, um, like over the year, we got so much positive fan feedback and so on, like really touching emails from people who played, played Blind Forest who really got emotionally invested into, into what we did. And, um, yeah. and then at TGAs, um, we, we were in a hotel room with one of our, um, back then he was our executive producer, Mark Coates. And he brought up this whole thing of like, hey, why not do a sequel? You know, what actually speaks against that? Like he is a huge fan of Ori, uh, always has been. And we were pretty lucky with that, right? That, the, that, that at Microsoft, we have a lot of, you know, really hardcore Ori fans, um, which is, Still crazy to me because they're the you know to me they're the Halo and Gears of War company and so on right. But then if you actually talk to Phil Spencer and and so on, like they they really enjoy Ori a lot and they're they're really themselves like really really big fans. So yeah, Mark brought up this whole thing of like why not do a sequel right? And and one thing that tickled me, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. One thing that he brought up tickled me, and we kind of like started talking about. You know, like the the just generally, why do sequels and so on, right? And to me, in that conversation, for the first time, that thing came up of like, hey, if Ori, like if we see, if we would see Ori and the Blind Forest as the original Super Mario Bros, right? Then Will of the Wisps, like the sequel, could actually become something like Super Mario Bros. Three. So, I mean, for younger audience members here, you know, uh, younger. Uh, people who watch the show, right? Um, I think there's a there's a really interesting thing where, where for a long time, when the Super Mario Bros. 3 released, which was then followed up really quickly by Super Mario World, but for a long time, that game uh, represented basically the best in that genre for a long time, for almost like two decades or so, right? Where it's right. just, yeah, this right. is the best platform I mm -hmm. ever made. And usually when you when you ask that question, like, hey, what's the best platform ever made? Well, it's that NES game, you know? And that's pretty crazy. And and me is kind of like, you know, trying to like really be a perfectionist. Like we got a lot of feedback for Ori and the Blind Forest. And generally the feedback was really, you know, good. Like people love the game and like they usually, they usually are full of like positive, uh, they mention a lot of positives, right? But I, I'm the kind of person who thrives on, like, I want to know all the negatives. Like, I, I'm much more inclined to, like, sound, like listen to the people who, who bring up stuff that they didn't like. So, so to me, kind of, like, I got excited with that idea of, like, yeah, maybe we could do something like that. Like, maybe we could take the things that we, that we, that we made that already felt good but really try to perfect that formula, you know, like that whole thing of like, hey, we know the platforming was already really good. What if we push that a little bit further and make it perfect, right? The combat itself was in, in Blind Forest was much more focused around the platforming. And then you had games like Hollow Knight and so on came out, uh, coming out, right? Which, which focused a lot more on just precise hits and so on, right? Which, yeah. which to us wasn't the focus for Blind Forest. And we thought, hey, you know, like we could do that as well, right? And we could really create this perfect package that that's just, hey, here's what a platformer should look like in 20, uh, and a Metroidvania should look like in, in like 2019 or 2020. And that in itself was always cool to me. Like when we first talked to Microsoft, I mean, back then, like right now, Metroidvanias have such a resurgence, right? There's, there's quite a few out there. 
Oh but yeah, back then when we did, it. yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of game companies are trying to make these Metrovania clones or you know what yeah. have you in this genre. Yeah, but back then when we did it, when we started it, there really wasn't much. I mean, back then I looked at a landscape of like Aquaria came out, which I think at this point barely anybody knows. I mean, it's a very it it, it wasn't a huge hit, and then you had things like Shadow Complex. And that was basically it. And I grew up playing all these Nintendo games. I loved Super Metroid, you know? And generally also, I I loved Symphony of the Night and those kind of things, right? And to me, it never made sense that Konami never made a a, uh, 32-bit console version or like a a full, you know, HD console thing uh, of, of the Symphony of the Night stuff. Like that was always relegated to just mobile, like, not mobile, but, but like, the, the handheld stuff, right? Like, the Agreed. Game Boy Advance and Nintendo DS and so on. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was such a weird thing to do, to say, hey, that kind of, like, 2D stuff is lame, so let's, you know, make a cheaper title for, for platforms and so on. And I was like, no, I want to see what that would look like if if you actually would put, put tons of resources into it, if you would really go nuts on the animation, if you would not do pixel art, but actually paint all these tiles, you know, and, and all of that stuff. So, so that was the original inspiration with Blind Forest. And then for Will of the Wisp, we obviously said, hey, we have all this tech and all this stuff. And let's see what we can do to make it even better. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, thanks for that wonderful insight. Uh, a lot of stuff there we didn't uh, know. Uh, Jeremy, what would you like to ask him? So, you know, f- what kind of features and content was put into Ori and the Will of the Wisp that you weren't able to in the first game? Okay, so I'm in a little bit of a pickle right now <laughs> because when you guys tweeted out about the, you know, that I'm on the TXR podcast, I got a very nice mail from our PR person at Microsoft. Yeah, <laughs> that's always how it goes. It was very clear. P's and like, Q's. Hey, yeah, it was very clear, like, hey, don't share any major features and so on uh, or anything that, that we haven't shown yet or haven't talked about yet. So I can focus on that stuff, I, but I can't share any new stuff, you know, that we haven't shown yet. And also, I wouldn't like to do it at this point because the game is coming out really soon. And I do really appreciate when people go into something blind, you know, and they don't know exactly what we've been up to, but then they go into it and they're like, holy shit, you know, like that kind of moment of like, I can't believe they did that, you know, and I can't Especially believe, oh my God, this is where you... Yeah, but aren't so, aren't you afraid of people going in blind? You know, obviously they know what you know from the blind forest. They know what you guys have done previously. But don't you aren't you afraid of them being let down for the, the sequel? You know, just going in blind. Don't you want to kind of lay it out a little bit further? No, I'm not. Like uh, I think generally I have a pretty good handle on like what what constitutes a really good game, and um, and I just generally take that for myself, right? Like if I have fun with the game and I I really enjoy it, and I I constantly um still find myself having that those moments of like hey i have a bug open and i have to test the level and i go in and test it and then i spend 20 minutes just playing because hey it's just fun you know and you're like you forget that hey i just needed to check this quick thing right so i still have those moments with ori so and with will of the wisps i think we really really pushed as much as possible so i feel pretty good about about where this will land you know our goal generally is i mean we, we do look at metacritic and those, those kind of things right and i i do hope that this time we will actually get a 90 plus you know that kind of thing so well so, you deserve uh, it that's for sure you, you created a masterpiece <laughs> my friend well 
hopefully you know at the end of the day i mean it's in the it's it's like the players will decide right and the press will decide like where it'll end but i feel like hey what we are what we worked on i mean it's it's four years that we spent on it now like the uh, orient the blind force definitive edition came out in march 11th 2016. so it's basically we're looking at four years of development time again that's a long time to work on something and yeah we're now seeing kind of like you know we're playing through the almost final game and yeah it's I, I I I'm pretty certain we will we will stick the landing. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. Um all right, let's move on to Centurion. Uh what would you like to ask our friend here? <clears throat> all right. So given the success of the first game, were you surprised at how successful and well received the first game was? And did this help fuel the drive and direction of wanting to get it on the Nintendo Switch? Um, yeah, for sure we were surprised. Uh, because back then, like I was I was hoping we would get to something like almost a million copies sold or something, right? And I mean by now we are way, way, way above the target. Like the, it's it's quite insane how many how many copies or in the blind first sold. And I mean, I think news-wise, we are sometimes falling under the radar right now because Ori was a smaller game and there's not that much, you know, to replay right now. Not, and not anymore, do... Thomas. No. None more. Right. <laughs> well, but but generally speaking, I think I mean the game had a, had had an insanely long tail in terms of like people picking up picking it up again and again, and you know in all the sales, like the game still really sells well. And we're still getting tons of really touching emails and so on. So, um, so yeah, I think we were really surprised by that. Like we were just hoping, hopefully this you know, becomes successful enough so that we would get another deal, you know, because, I mean, it's a really tough world for a developer out there with, like, with publishers and so on, right, where you have to hope that your game actually makes the money back that it costs to make and then that you get to make another game. And, I mean, Ori and the Blind Force went far beyond that. Um, and the Switch thing was just one of those things, you know, like it came out like the team, like constantly, honestly, like we, we get mails all the time about, you know, and still get mails about, you know, hey, can you put it on this platform or that platform? Can you release it on the Switch? We still get people asking, can you put it on the PlayStation 4 and so on? And with the Switch, I mean, literally what we did is we just asked Microsoft. Um, we just reached out to them and asked them like, hey, and I told them, guys, there's, there's so many people who are asking for Blind Forest on the Switch. And Nintendo's not making a new Metroid anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I, I wasn't expecting the response necessarily. Like I was expecting them to shut it down because it's, you know, it's a, it's a pretty yeah. crazy ask, right? That we're like, hey, would you mind if we would release <laughs> the, that Microsoft first party exclusive on, from, from the Xbox on a, on a competitive platform? But I mean, we we talked deal wise about like what would what that would entail and so on. But they were open to it, and I think I mean the, the strategy that Microsoft is following right now I think is pretty interesting. I think it's pretty different than where Nintendo and Sony are. So I get where they're coming from that they allow that kind of stuff. But yeah, that's just how that came to be. So like, Michael, well, it, it doesn't hurt that you know Nintendo and Microsoft are literally down the street from each other. They have a pretty right. good working, you know, oh, for sure, yeah, relationship. Yeah. So Microsoft yeah. definitely holds to that whole ideal of letting the developer actually having a amount of control over the uh, software they produce. Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, 
I can only speak as a developer, right? Like when we started out working with Microsoft, like we had a couple of, uh, of publishers that wanted to make a thing with us. And obviously it's kind of like scary, it's daunting, right? Like you, you just started this small company and then you get in bed with a big, bad publisher, right? And that was kind of like the thought process that we went in, that, that there would be people at Microsoft who would tell us, you know, like, hey guys, I have this really great idea well, you know, wouldn't you do this, right? Like, why wouldn't you come up with this or that, right? And I mean, there's, there are these stories out there, but honest to God, like we never had anything like that. Like Microsoft never did any, had, did, had anything where where they came in and, you know, and told us, hey, you guys need to do it, this particular thing this way or that way. And we've been really free in terms of just the, you know, in terms of just creating what we wanted to create. And, Microsoft has been super supportive in that sense. Like we, is, like isn't we are, it part we of it because? Oh, go ahead. We are, we are, we are, no, I, mean, I think like we are, we are the luckiest, you know, developer in the world. Like we can literally make the stuff that we want to make and and get publishers to to invest in us. So that you know, you couldn't it couldn't get any better. All right. Is All it right. part of it because of uh, uh, Xbox? You know, the, the employees are big fans of Ori. That they're like, you know, we a lot of us own a Switch, so we would like to have more access to Ori ourselves. So that's why they, you know, were more open and susceptible to for it to be on the Switch. I mean, I can only speculate. Maybe that was part of it, right? I don't know. We well, hope so. Um, yeah, but you know, but you're right though, because you would think that. You know, everyone hears about like the scary stories from like you know uh, Bungie and, and Destiny and how you know Activision kind of you know just limited everything they had to do and you know just overloaded them. So it's nice that you guys have a little bit of freedom and, and you know able to do kind of what you want. Yeah, I mean, again, like we never we never had any of that. Like we did have those um, preconceived notions of like, hey, the publisher would you know like. Do all these bad things and so on because that's that's what you hear right when you hear read industry news like when you read, read the reset our forum or those kind of things that's usually like hey here's the bad publisher and then here's the developer right and usually the blame gets all put on the on the publisher if if, if certain choices get made but yeah i mean i i can only speak for myself like i do know a couple of stories where i feel like hey you know yeah where, where publishers kind of like take over in a bad way we just never had that with Microsoft. Like our producer Dan Smith is, you know, is never did anything like that. But it's like, hey, he's just supportive of us. He tries to kind of like help us with the production and so on, right? But yeah, he, you know, he's also a, a big Ori fan, and I think he'll play the games uh, with with his kids and so on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we like that. That's the kind of thing that you want as a developer, right? That you actually start. Um, start a relationship with a publisher and that you can actually make the thing that you want to make and 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 see that come to fruition and not have you know too many cooks in there um that then makes you kind of like feel like hey this is not this didn't become what i wanted it to become so right. really i mean with ori i i think you know if we succeed well then we succeeded at our own terms and if we fail well then we failed at our own terms and that's that's mm -hmm. something I'm, I'm very happy with yeah. Now, South, do you have anything to ask him about Ori and the Will of the Wisps? Uh, you know what? I, I, I did, but I, I need, to, need a second to kind of formulate how I want to ask it. So go ahead and ask, have someone else ask, and then I'll come back All to right. me. All right. No problem. We'll get to Shock. Uh, Shock, what would you like to ask Thomas about? Oh, um, I did see a comment uh, recently. I think it was about um, the specs of like the new Scarlet and people being worried that 
dev kits aren't out, you know, as a rumor. <laughs> um, and I saw your comment saying that, um, but you guys already kind of have the test or kind of have the idea of what the the benchmark of what you're looking at for the for the parts. Um, so as a developer, is it really that much of a uh, hindrance of not actually have the physical dev kit, but knowing exactly what your target specs, like you said, everybody already knows, you know, what you're working with. I mean, I think it's different for developers who, um, who probably have to do a launch title or something, right? If you really write to the metal basically for it and, and have to get something out by launch, then yeah, maybe it is an issue. Um, I would assume that those people do have dev kits already, right? Like the, the people who, you know, have to do that and who, who actually have launched stuff available. And honest to God, I mean, we are, we are in a hard respect now with those new consoles, right? Where it's like, it's PCs, <laughs> they're PCs. Like you can already, like, if you know a little bit about that stuff, right? Like you can already pretty much assume, uh, what it'll be, right? Like you, you just know, um, and it's not that big of a deal, honestly, at this point to, to, uh, work that way. Like I, I can't say much about Scarlet. I don't honestly know much about it. I, we don't have dev kits. Um, and I've also been told very much by the PR team at Microsoft that, that we shouldn't share any Scarlet news or anything, <laughs> which helps, you know, that, that we don't even have any, any hardware or anything. But I mean, just from a developer uh, standpoint, right? Like it really doesn't matter. I mean, at this point, I know the specs of the PlayStation 5 and all this stuff. And, and you know, like both of those consoles will be, I think, fairly similar. So as a developer, I'm just, you know, like even if you have to make last minute changes to kind of like, you know, pull things together, I, I don't think it should be that big of an issue. All right. All right. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, obviously with uh, Scarlet around the corner, you know, we're all very curious about that. Um for my question, I was wondering... Oh, by the way, by the way, keep in mind, right, that we are the kind of studio that's making games where it's not necessarily about about tech. Like, you know, we're not making tech porn stuff. We're making games that look right. good because of art direction, not because we're squeezing every single last bit out of the GPU, even though uh, the stuff that we are making is very hardware intensive and so on, right? But, but not to a point where you have to use the machine to every single bit, you know, like it, to us, it's much more important that we are gameplay company first, where we make games that also look amazing because of art direction and not necessarily because, hey, you know, we have the latest stuff in an engine and we have some crazy graphics feature and so on, right? That's not how, who we are, right? Like we want to make stuff that is beautiful given the tools that we have, right? Because we're artists um, and we don't really care about that, you know, like that, latest little tech thing that honestly most of the time well, i think you laid it out perfectly it. you said tech porn because you, <laughs> your, your game looks beautiful as it is yeah i mean that's how i that's that's how we approach it from the start like we want to have tools that are easy to use that are artists that really make our artists you know like just focus on the art and not necessarily like hey on every single one of those objects turn this new feature on and then it'll look a little bit fancier or so right like at the end of the day i just feel like i mean there is still this this tech porn thing going on in the games industry like and you know and, and like hey when do we get get to games that look photorealistic and so on and we're just the opposite of that i mean i'm just i just love games that are that, that are great, that are looking great because of art, right? And that, that have a timeless look to them. Like I want to make games that even in 10 years from now, you could still play and say, wow, that looks great, right? So I'm always amazed with 
with that thing that the games industry is so nuts about um about using the latest and greatest tech but then they're forgetting about art direction you know yeah like a lot of the games from the xbox Absolutely. 360 area era with those piss filters and all the stuff right it's like I don't want to play that anymore um, because the art direction wasn't that great, right? They just made assets and with normal maps and highest texture resolution possible and so on. But then you look at the actual games and like the compositions that you see and, you know, the colors, like the way they use colors. There's a lot of, I mean, I come from art school, right? I look at the stuff and I'm like, well, this is like those, those folks often didn't really understand what they were doing. They were just doing tech stuff, you know? And and that's not really where we want to be. We want to do stuff that 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 looks great because well, there's there's an artistic sense behind it, right? And not just yeah, well, we have the 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 highest rest textures and, and some some latest new mm-hmm. you know engine features and so on in there. So AK 120 frames per second not confirmed. <laughs> actually frame rate is hugely important to us like how our game plays again like we are gameplay company first that's that's how we see ourselves right so all our games will always run at at least 60 frames that's a that's a statement that i always made right nice. and that i stand by and and hopefully even more right like if you play will of the wisps um obviously you will want to play that if you play on a pc at like 120 frames or something, right and that's fine like that Anything that makes the game feel better and frame rate definitely, you know, makes games feel better. Like if you, a game that is, that plays at 60 frames is obviously just plays better and there's less input delay and so on than a game that runs at 30 frames. So, so that is hugely important to me. I, I would, I would actually sacrifice some of the art before I sacrifice uh, frame rate. Okay. All right. Very interesting. So for Will of the Wisps, Ori and the baby owl, I think the character's name's Koo, if I'm not mistaken, are showing off, they're very showing off very prominently together in trailers and artwork. Now, I understand, you know, without getting into too deep into the story, because I realize you want to keep away from that. Can we expect Koo to play a, a big part in possibly gameplay elements? So I don't want to say too much about that. Um, I want you to experience <laughs> that. Uh, she does play a huge role in the story, of course. That's why we show. Love the Gandalf game. look. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a pipe smoker. Um, but nice. yeah, in terms of story, in terms of story, definitely she she plays a huge huge role. Um, so for me, I mean, Black Quest was very much a, a, a coming of age story with, you know, where Ori at, at the start of the game had to say goodbye to his mother, and it was about that triangular relationship with with those two mothers you know um like one takes one path and the other one takes another path right and then at the end that gets that that's on a collision path basically and this time i think for will of the wisps i mean the story is much more about brothers and sisters where the idea is that ori is kind of like the brother and ku is who is basically Ori's sister, right? That kind of thing. Interesting. Um, yeah. And I mean, there is no gender stuff in Ori, right? But but that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of idea that they are being basically being treated as siblings. And okay. uh, yeah, I don't want to share too much because I do want people, <laughs> like we we spend so much time on the story and then all these emotional beats and so on that I really want people to just experience that for themselves. Like I'm I'm hugely looking forward. Like that's that's one of the things that I I, I, I like at least like inside our studio. We are really looking forward to uh, once the game launches, like the first 
you know, people who stream the games, um, like really watching their reactions, right? And all awesome. the stuff that we did. It's like that's that's gonna be really, really interesting. Because there's some there's some really heavy beats in World of the Wisps where I think, hey, people will really be often maybe quite shocked about the decisions that we made. Wow. Okay. Now now did you guys change the way the story was presented in the game to flesh out some of the world and characters? Could you elaborate on that? What do you mean? So, you, you know, in it was very narrative driven and very visual vision. The story in Ori was very visual in the first game. Mm-hmm. You know, did you guys change the way it was presented? Meaning, did you use, you know, whether it's uh, in game cutscenes or, you know, full motion video, et cetera, et cetera, to kind of flesh out the world and the characters? No, so basically how I want you to see World of the Wisps is basically think of Ori and the Blind Forest on steroids, right? So there's still a certain tone to Ori where we try always to tell our stories with as little dialogue as possible because I I want people from India who don't necessarily speak English or something, right, to get as much out of the game as, as, you know, Americans and Europeans and so on. Like, I want this to be a global thing. Um, So... Talent, and, and, and that's just a, a, a theme that fits Ori, right? That we that we do a lot with just animation and body language and so on. And I want you to, I want to be able to act like our animators to act out a scene where just through just through how they act, the characters, right? That you would get that that it would say everything, right? And generally, the idea with Ori and with Ori is that you know if you don't have to use words don't use words right if you can get the information across purely through acting purely through the music because music is also one of like we basically do it through acting and we do it through music and music is one of those is, is one of those things that often in games isn't used as a storytelling device right and I think that's that's a fault because music is such a such an important storytelling tool and i mean we already did this in blind forest if you would actually play um orient the blind forest and just take the prologue for example right if we wouldn't have had gareth there kind of like infusing the story and like helping out the story with music right the beats wouldn't have hit as hard as they would have otherwise and we were we were okay with saying well we don't we we'll, we'll set it up that way and we trust gareth to actually come through with the music and come through with basically the music being as important as the script um because that was a big big important thing to us and i think in a lot of games right now when great composers are used they're used in the wrong way right like i mean a silly example is for call of duty activision hired hans simmer right and then what did they use it for for the main theme when you when you're in the title screen it's like Really, that's that's what you used him for, right? That that mm. no, you actually should have <laughs> used him for story moments where, where you try to tell a story and you try to convey a certain mood and you want to kind of like manipulate the audience to feel a certain thing, right? Like why waste a composer on like you know on, on just music that you play during the title screen? Like, I mean, I love a good title track, right? But but really I I, I think music should much more often in, in games be used as a as a storytelling device, similar to how it's done in films, right? That that it's a tool to really help manipulate the audience to make you feel right, something. immersive. Yeah, no, I, I you guys really hit a ten with it when you know bringing Gareth in, you know, to, like like Jeremy's asking part of the story was like you said was the music, the soundtrack, mm-hmm. and that was a calculated thing. Like that, that's something that we were okay with. We knew hey, we wanted to do really reduced. Um, 
storytelling to the point where you know, it has to come across basically through animation. So we trusted our animator back then, James Benson, who now works at Valve. Um, we wanted to trust him on just you know getting the story across that way. And then at the same time, trust Gareth that he also um, helps the story that way, right? And that just became, that that then just, you know, like that's what Ori became. That's that's what Ori is now, right? That we that we don't use that much that much text. That you don't have like you know tons of text boxes constantly to click through. So so we definitely stood like kept true to that. All right, all right, very interesting. Uh, Centurion, uh, you're up next. What would you like to ask the man? Uh, man, we can get back to me. Oh well, if he wants to go first. All right, all right. I want to go. It's my turn. <laughs> okay, South, go right ahead. <laughs> Southbound. No, what? you know what? No, no. I just I'm real curious about uh, Game Pass. You know, because we, oh. we, you know, us as general public, we don't know the distribution of wealth. So obviously, you have to keep your doors open and everything else. And I think a lot of misconception is, oh, well, Game Pass. You know, it doesn't really give you guys money as a developers. But is it a double edged sword where you rather have more people have the game in hands or is it, you know, copy sold? How, like, what's the pros and cons to a Game Pass situation? So I can't share details on that because of NDAs. Um, but obviously, like, with Microsoft, with Microsoft, right, they have to make sure that, hey, developers are happy about Game Pass. Um, so to us, definitely, I mean, with Wills of Wisp, it'll be really, really interesting to see how many people will try Ori, right? Because one of the things that we actually saw uh, that was really interesting to us was there were a lot of people um, who told us, hey, I wasn't interested in playing a platformer, you know, like I'm, I'm more of a shooter fan and so on, but then I got Ori on sale and I tried it and now it's one of my favorite games, right? Like usually this, this, there's this thing of like, I, like it's not necessarily, like even if you're not necessarily a platformer fan or even a Metroidvania fan, um, the game has a certain you know addictive quality to it right where because you know because we made it so tight and so on um and then when people play it even people who don't usually love the genre right or usually maybe wouldn't give the, that uh, game in that genre a chance um that when they try it they actually really like it right so one of the enticing things about game, game pass for me is um i my hope is that a lot more people will give it a try you know and then and then maybe fall in love with it, you know, like hopefully, or maybe they won't care at all, right? But then at least like, hey, right. they were able to give it a chance without first having to pay a lot. I think generally, I mean, one of the big things in the industry that that probably has to change, you know, and it's it's probably not clear kind of like how we can change it and still make development feasible is this whole thing of like, hey, if I want to try a game, a demo oftentimes isn't great right like a demo experience oftentimes like I, I i played demos before where i felt like hey that demo was weak but then i played the full game and i was like wow thank god i didn't you know make my buying decision just based on the demo um so but the problem is yeah if you have to spend 60 to 70 dollars or euros right on something before you understand hey do i like this thing do i want to spend my time with that that's a huge upfront cost to pay i mean that's you know, like sixty to seventy dollars, right? Like that's not that's not a small thing. Some, right? That's something where you know it's not an impulse buy at that point. It's something that you think about. Mm. So, 
So I, I think that's an interesting thing with Game Pass, right? That people can just try it, you know, and hopefully we'll see that, right? That a lot of people who are usually not into platformers or into Metroidvanias, right? That, hey, because it's on Game Pass, they will give it a try and maybe they will really like it, you know? So, so, so do you does it do you hope that you know if people try it and they play it on Game Pass that they will further like okay well you know I play it on Game Pass so let me buy it for a friend or a, a, a brother yeah. sister you know daughter is is or that the hope or, or, or at right. least recommend it right like at least basically be out there and, and spread word of mouth right like if you like a game if you really love a game and it did something for you right like with with great films for example right if you watch a great film and the and the and the credit rolls uh the the end credits roll. Um, well, the immediate thing is like, hey, you're speechless, right? And then you want to tell everybody about it, right? Um, like, hey, right. have you seen this film yet? It's amazing. It did, you know, something amazing for me. You know, you should really watch that, right? And um, and that's definitely what I what, what I hope would happen, right? That people just kind of like share that story, right? That hey, I played this thing. I came in with no expectations. I played this thing, and it amazed me. And you know, you should play it as well, right? That kind of thing, because. There is something really interesting there because, I mean, generally speaking with games, I think there's still, you know, this huge upfront cost overall, right? Like if you, you have to buy, buy a console um, that costs 400 or $500 or something, right? And then you have to buy the games that are really expensive and so on. So, so I think there's, you know, that's one of the problems the industry has to solve, this huge upfront cost before you can actually get into gaming. Um, so I think there's interesting things happening right now in the industry that that hopefully will make more people interested in games generally. Mm -hmm. No, definitely, definitely. That's an interesting comment right there. All right, Centurion, you're up next. Uh, what would you like to ask? I'm going to modify my question because Downer kind of already kind of popped the lid off of what I was going to go for. So <laughs> um, for um, just are sales very still are sales for the first game still strong to this day? You don't got to put a number on it. Yeah, I mean, we are we are always always amazed, kind of like by how well the game still sells. You know, like okay, I mean, we thought because because generally the idea is in the first year the game has the best sales, right? And actually, for Ori, uh, that wasn't even the case. Like, you know, in, I think in year three we sold an, a crazy amount of units because then uh, Ori was also in sales and so on, right? Um, but it, it continually kept selling and kept selling and kept selling. And I think it's like with a good film, right? Like, um, I mean, look at Shawshank Redemption or something, right? Which flopped that, and I mean, Ori didn't flop, but which, you know, Shawshank Redemption kind of like flopped at the, at the theaters, right? But then, oh, yeah. you know, people, people, keep, people keep watching it, you know, and keep, keep watching it on streaming services and buy the DVDs and so on, simply because I think at the end of the day, if something is of high quality, then people will want to experience that at some point, right? So, so it's still in Game Pass, it's still selling well. Yeah, we're happy with the numbers. Uh, and uh, now, coming from a developer point of view, to kind of like, because the whole idea of Game Pass is interested to a lot of people, would you say from a developer point of view that Game Pass not only makes gaming accessible for the fan base, but it also makes it to where the console platform is more accessible for a developer. I mean, it remains to be seen. Game Pass is still a new thing. I don't know, right? Like we're taking a bit of a gamble with all of that right now. It really remains to be seen. I, I hope we'll see the positive effects of it. And we obviously took that gamble with Microsoft and, and think, hey, this could have a, this could have a positive influence. 
<coughs> but we'll we'll we basically we'll have to see. All right. I think it also helps boost all the Switch sales because everybody sees like Ori on the Xbox and have been, you know, asking for it for the Switch. So I think it also helps that kind of word of mouth as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think at this point in the in the in the industry, right? Or generally with everything, I mean I mean, that is a little bit contrary to what I just said regarding price and so on, right? But really at the end of the day, I think if you pick a game that you want to play. Especially if you're older, right, and have a job and so on, a lot of times it's not necessarily about the how much does it cost, but also, you know, do I have the time to spend on it? I mean, I don't know how old you guys are, right? But for me, it's I don't have that much time to play games all the time, right? Like I, I used to as, uh, you know, in my teens and so on and, and during art school and so on, I used to play like one or two games a month, you know, if I could and could find games cheaply and so on. And then when you get older and have a job and so on, then um, that number really reduces because you know I, and I have a kid now, for example, right? So that number really reduces. So you so you start really picking the the best stuff, you know, the stuff that you really want to experience, and and that really I think changed recently because there's so many games out there, and that you know that that middle space kind of fell away. That that I think a lot of people don't necessarily you know if you're a 60 70 you know even low 80 metacritic rating kind of game right that those games would have gotten a chance by players back in the day and now it's much harder so i think with stuff like game pass actually you know those games you know people might get to play those games even if they're a little bit niche and so on but um yeah well because like game pass their their uh their motto is you know it's find your next favorite game or something so it, it's pretty cool because a lot of people don't would like you said wouldn't normally purchase these games or find these you know hidden gems in well, this collection the, and sorry i didn't want to interrupt you sorry god no 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 you're fine well well one of the interesting things that that we've seen right uh and that's an interesting industry thing again is that there are a lot of live games out now right and games that just constantly get changed um things like your sea of thieves or even games like don't starve right that that you know you have a release and then the game gets rated by all the press and it will get that like it will have that rating you know and that conception of like it's it's that kind of game right until the very end right until for, like for forever even though as a developer you know you can now actually go ahead and kind of like change your game after release right which which is a weird thing. Like you never have that with movies, right? Like when a movie comes out, I mean, usually maybe you will see a director's cut or something, right? But that usually doesn't drastically change the game. But with games right now, um, we do see games where they come out and they might have launched too early or that kind of stuff, right? But then developers go in and change it and make it better and make it better and make it better, right? And that should really also change the ratings and so on. But that I, doesn't I happen never right agreed. now in the industry. I never agreed on how the gaming media doesn't do a uh, a re-review of the game right. after certain stuff like that. Yep. I, I would definitely say, I mean, I know of quite a few games that came out. I didn't like them, but then they got changed and patched and so on, right? And then, hey, this is actually really, really, really good now. For me, it was um, Elder Scrolls Online. That game was totally different yeah. when it came out on the PC right. compared to the console port. 
Right. And I, and I think that's an interesting thing, right? And so with Game Pass, I mean, with Sea of Thieves, it was the same thing. I mean, when that came out, it had like, what, a 50 Metacritic or something, right? And then they kept adding stuff to it. And there is a fan base that really likes that game. And I mean, from that aspect, I think that's really interesting, right? That that we have those kind of experiences now um, where people can just stick with it and, you know, and get the kick and like, you know, talk to developers and even interact with the developers and maybe even get to influence the game a little bit, like what direction it's heading into. Mm-hmm. Because then as a developer, you can listen to the community and give them exactly what they want. Um, so I, I think in that regard, uh, it's it's very interesting. And, and and the industry, I think, has to adapt to that a little bit because, I mean, at the end of the day, we, we will see and are seeing more and more games coming out that way. I mean, this is not true for Ori, obviously, right? Ori is kind of like, has to be this perfect package upon release. And then maybe we'll do slight little patches if like people see some bugs or something, right? But we will not drastically alter, alter the game, right? But that is an interesting thing, you know, to, I, I would like to do that at some point that we work on something where it's like, hey, you know, we can constantly change this and perfect it and perfect it. And again, like I'm a perfectionist, right? I would actually love to have that kind of back and forth with, uh, with our fans and really try to, make this shiny perfect thing that that is almost hard to criticize because it's just like we ironed out everything you know that kind of thing okay all right very interesting uh south is going to ask another question and then we'll go to uh shock okay so without going into you know to specifics and i i mean obviously you can't really you know say the the whole story but you, you touched on earlier that after or you you know uh blind forest came out you started you know prototyping new new ideas and different games well now that you you know obviously ori was a was a hit you had a position of strength so how was it when you know when it came back to the negotiating table you're like well i want to do something different and microsoft were like well we want a sequel like how how was did you were you know able to work it out you know, was it like, was it money or was it creativity like how for for a developer like yourself what what you know change your mind and say okay you know what we'll do a sequel instead of something else well first of all um we are okay so i have to be really careful right now <laughs> <laughs> right yeah that's what i said don't you know you, you can't get into specifics yeah. but microsoft yeah, I, I mean, PR individuals sitting forward in their chair right now <laughs> yeah it's probably a laser point. See, see this, this is a Timmy. This is a Timmy question. The precision question, right here. They're behind yeah. this camera. So, right so now. let me let me try to answer it. So, I mean, some of the prototypes that I made, we actually shipped around, right? And I like showed basically to some publishers and so on. And, um, and there was quite a bit of interest, right? But then I think for us, it also came back to, well, there's so much fan response. You know that people really love would love to have a sequel right would love to see something more ori and would love to see us kind of like perfecting what we did and as a creative i'm obviously a little bit in that camp of ah you know do we want to spend you know the next couple of years doing something similar to what we just did or do we want to do something new yeah. but then i think there is something really interesting in being able to take the thing that you did and then revolutionize it almost right and like make it perfect or trying to get to that as close as possible so i think that one over and then um i mean nobody's saying we're not also making something different you know so i mean we do have another project in the (laughs) pipeline 
I can't nice. say what that is. I can't say what that is, right? I mean, for all intents and purposes, it could be OE3 or it could be something else. Like, I, I honestly, I can't say right now. Um, but um, well, we we love yeah, the hit regardless. That's how we approach it. That's Tom, that's kind of like the gameplay was tight on that. You showed me about it was a while ago, but you, it was nice. So I can you repeat your question? Can you cut up for me? Yeah, you, yeah, you, you broke it, Jeremy. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, all, all that 250 down and up, uh, you can't even have a good signal. Buddy. I did an article on this on the stability of the internet in Montana. <laughs> I, I think I know. I think I know what you what you asked, but can you can you just repeat the question, just so I'm sure? Um, the prototype you were working on was pretty tight. When uh, well, there were a couple. Which one do you mean? Uh, I don't want to get it. Well, I don't know if you can get into specifics, but it was. A you know a down over the top adventure game side scroller might have been early early build oh, that okay yeah yeah, yeah. well I, I I did a whole bunch of prototypes um and yeah I mean I do this all the time I actually really like that you know like uh, showing something early because no other developer is doing that and I always found that stupid you know like why why aren't we seeing stuff like that where it's where, where you just basically get like see a little bit like, hey, would people get excited about us doing something like this? So doing something like that, right? And and I just like that. I, I I just it's almost like jamming, you know, like when you're when you're a musician and you play with a couple of people, right? And you're just jamming on your instruments and hope that hey, some melody um, comes out of that or something comes out of that, right? To me, prototypes are a similar thing where I can just sit down with some idea and then I put it together and then. You know, like I, I refine it and noodle around with it. I show it to some people. I get some feedback. I noodle around with it some more. And then I suddenly have something where I'm like, wow, this could be the next Moon Studios thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, there were so many prototypes. Um, so um, so yeah, I can't really honestly can't say anything specific. But um, other than, hey, we're working with the Wisp and we're working on another game. But that, you know, that will still take some time for us to, to actually announce. Okay. All right. Very informative. Uh, Shock, you're up next, bud. What do you want to ask? Oh, um, yeah. I wanted to know what was probably like your, I guess, biggest inspiration to make Ori. Like, is that like Metroid or uh, Castlevania <laughs> or mm. anything else? <laughs> so, I think there were multiple inspirations. Um, we looked at, I mean, I, I can tell you this whole thing. I, I told that story before. Um, we, we initially, when we founded Moon Studios, we wanted to do a different game. Uh, that game was called War Soup and was basically me coming from Blizzard and kind of like learning at Blizzard how to play StarCraft II properly, that the game was basically chess, you know. Um, and the initial pitch that we made to Microsoft and other studios like uh, other publishers like Electronic Arts and so on was a was a game called War Soup, which was this we called it a real time uh, strategy first person shooter. And it was it was literally like a first person shooter where you would play a one v one or a two v two, and while the while the match was going on, you had to upgrade your character, right? And you had to, you know, constantly kind of like get new abilities and new stuff. And and even to this point, like I haven't seen someone make a game like that. 
like there has been like I, I think after that some people copied the stuff that we did back then like the whole wall running and charge jumping and so on and infusing that into fps games because at that point when you looked at fps games everything was just realistic and everything had to be call of duty you know and we were like out there saying no that fucking is not fun you know like why not give me all these abilities and all this stuff and like even make asymmetrical gameplay right where it's like hey if i play this class I have these kind of set, this kind of set of abilities, but if I play this class, I have this set of abilities. Um, so that's how we started, and then uh, that became too big of a project for us to handle as our as our first title. And then, actually, on the twenty fourth of December of twenty ten, I sat down and kind of like made the first prototype for Blind Forest, um, and and in the morning of basically Christmas of that Christmas day, right? I was watching Princess Mononoke. And that was the first thing that I thought, hey, it would be interesting. Like, I, I really like those Kodama figures. Uh, it would be interesting to make something around that, you know, like about, hey, what if you play a small creature in a huge forest, you know, like a little spirit or something, right? And so that was the initial spark. But then I also looked at games like, hey, um, like Super Super Meat Boy came out at that point, uh, shortly before, and that had really tight platforming controls, and I really liked that. Like for a, a long time, I was like, I was go constantly going on about how Super Mario Bros. Three to me was the best platform ever made, and suddenly you had Super Meat Boy out there, and it had such tight controls, and I I, I suddenly really enjoyed that game uh, because it really tickled something in in me. Right, it's like wow, this is super tight. This really plays like something that you potentially could have even done on the NES, right? There was nothing stopping you. Um, and I think that 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 was an interesting thing that kind of like that 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 we allowed ourselves to, inf to get in some influence by. And then there's tons of things. Like once other people came into the mix, right? Like there's, there's, like there's tons of influences constantly. Like films that you see, books that you read, music that you listen to. I mean, a lot of times when I'm writing stories, I listen to music that I like, like, you know, classical stuff or from film composers and so on. And I just close my eyes and, you know, and, and write and try to kind of like have something in my head of like, you know, hey, you know, here's the main idea that I had. And then you imagine some scenes, you know, that could happen in that kind of like world and you write that down and so on. Like there's, there's inspiration basically that you find in everything, right? And then with, with games as well, you know, like any cool new mechanic or something that uh that the developer is doing, like, hey, if that or something like that would fit for our game, then hey, let's have a design discussion about that. Um, but yeah, inspiration is basically everywhere. Like you have to look at everything and you can't have to constantly learn and constantly stay open to everything. Even if you even if you at at first you might be not feeling too great about, you know, a certain idea that somebody brings up, right? A lot of times in the studio, we find that that you know that the stupid idea becomes the great idea at some point, right? That that somebody like a lot of times, like our in our designs, right? Like design often happens in discussions. Like when I'm unsure about a certain design, I start you know a, a design chat in our team, and and we just discuss things and debate it, right? And then a lot of times um, people just shout out something like, hey, wouldn't it be interesting if this would happen, right? Or if we would have something like that. And then even if immediately it's like, whoa, that's that's weird, you know, that's out there. But then when you think about it, oftentimes it becomes something that's like, actually hang on, you know, there is something there, even though it might sound totally weird, 
But if you do it like this, and then would add that, and then this, this could totally work, you know? And now we are getting all excited about that. So, so <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Very cool. Uh, obviously, we realize that, you know, you're very busy with working. But is it okay if we ask another, like, two or three quick questions? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Fantastic. I'll uh, take this one then. Now, was there any discussions or temptations to add multiplayer or co-op elements to the game? Or has it always been purely single player, especially moving into the sequel, World of the Wisps? Yeah, so that's actually a really interesting question. Because um, we we initially Microsoft did bring that up. Like that was one of the things that they that they wanted us to explore. Like this whole hey, with with Will of the Wisps, is there a possibility to do multiplayer stuff? And we explored that, and we had some tests that felt interesting, but we could never really make it work together. Like for certain modes and so on, uh, it might have been fun, or then. Um, but then we kind of like, you know, like it, it didn't work. It caused so many issues and other things like, hey, when you start that sequence, right? Like what if the other player still jumps around or hasn't caught up yet and so on? There's so many issues that that, that brought up, right? That we started chipping away on that. And then it just became something that felt kind of shallow, like like the stuff that um, that Nintendo was doing with Mario Galaxy, right? Where it's like, hey, the second player can move this little thing around but doesn't really have the same gameplay, you know, that the, that the, that the main player has. And that right. just didn't become that interesting to us anymore. That, that then felt like, you know, hey, invite a person that you don't like and give him the second controller <laughs> and, you know, like have his software through that. So that didn't seem that interesting to us. So, so we kind of like at some point said, hey, really for Metroidvania, it doesn't really work. Like at least like we couldn't find a way of, making it still enticing and really making that worry formula still work, you know, like those moments of, hey, something important happens and and make that work with two players. Um, yeah, we tried it and yeah, didn't didn't quite work out. Okay. All right. Very informative. So, Jeremy, go right ahead. So how much, and this might be a loaded question, Thomas, but how much lar larger is the gameplay world in Ori as opposed to uh, the Blind Forest? Yeah, so that's also really interesting. Um, <laughs> so looking at the final map, it's quite a, it's it's a lot larger. Um, it's it's a lot, it's a much bigger game than Blind Forest. And I actually like we didn't start out saying that because I I love the idea of something that is perfect in itself, right? That is like that stands by itself because of you know here's right. the work. It has a certain gestalt, right? And that's it, you know, it, that, that's what it wants to be. Um, so for example, right, like the Mona Lisa isn't better if you would add more space around it and more stuff, you know? Um, but it's just, this is the work and this is all it needs to be. So to me, the length that we had in Blind Forest was actually pretty okay. And we, we started out saying, hey, the game doesn't necessarily need to be much bigger than that. Bigger is okay if we find good ideas that we are really enticing, right? Like we are, we're not shying away from making it bigger, but it has to, it shouldn't be bigger just because of padding or some of that, right? Just so we can tick a box on the, on, on the back of the box, right? And say, hey, this is right. now 50 hours of gameplay or something like that. That is something that I'm not interested in. Actually, we are, we're ruthless at Moon Studios about cutting stuff. If like, 
especially kind of like during the final stages of development, like if something isn't up to that standard of quality, just cut it, you know? Um, well, it's similar to editing. driven title. Right. It's similar to editing a film, right? Where, where I mean, uh, film directors will constantly tell you, hey, a film is really made in the editing phase and not necessarily while shooting because you shoot so much stuff and you have no idea what it'll be. But then you sit down on the editing table and then it's like, okay, what story are we telling here, right? How do we make that tight? And how, we, how do we make all those things connect together so that it really tells a cohesive story so that those beats really matter and like they're, they're paced out nicely and there's a certain rhythm to everything, right? And that's kind of like how I feel about gameplay as well. So it's a lot bigger, but then, but then not to a degree where, you know, hey, just because of the length of the, of the size of the world, it's like, you know, now you have to play 50 hours, but it's a lot deeper as well. And that's the interesting thing to me, right? That, that hey, we have a certain world. How can we make retraversing more fun? How can we make, you know, like uh, people replaying the game more fun or people coming back to a certain area and finding new things, discovering new areas or something, right? That kind of thing, like the, the depth of it, to me, a lot of times is more important than just the breadth of it, right? That that kind of thing. And I think we achieved that with Will of Twist, that, that it's it's not just bigger than Ori and the Blind Forest than it is, but it's also, it's so much deeper. You can play the game in so many different ways now where, nice. you know, you have all these weapons and so on and you could decide, hey, I'll play through the game because Ori became also huge with speedrunners, right? Oh, yeah. And, and people played through the game multiple times. And, and one of the things to me like that I wanted to solve was, hey, if you play through the game once and then you play through it again, that potentially on your second playthrough or even on your third playthrough, that you could have a really different experience, you know, playing it. So we made the game more open than Ori and the Blind Forest. It's not, it's not kind of like linear in, in that sense, but it's you can actually decide where to go and do things kind of like out of order, you know, because there isn't really, there isn't necessarily a straight order that we that we tell you um, um, you have to do certain things, right? And that to me, that to me was really interesting because I mean, honestly, even today, I sometimes still uh, play Zelda One on the NES, and that is also a game that kind of like works with that structure, right? Where it's like, hey, you can do things out of order. And I mean, Breath of the Wild came out a while ago, right? And that had a similar thing where it's like, hey, I can actually do things in a non in a way that the developer might not have foreseen it, right? right. And that to us was just interesting. So that hey, you could play Blind Forest, you could finish it, and then you could play it again, and you know, have a blast with it still, right? Because now you find weapons and stuff and spells and so on um, that you didn't find on your first playthrough. You know, that that feel completely different or make the game feel really, really different. You know. That was that was really important to us. Okay, all right. Centurion, uh, you're up next. All right, my last question. You can treat it completely as a yes or no, or if you don't want to answer it, that's perfectly understandable. <laughs> Those are but, usually the questions that get me in trouble. <laughs> no, well, okay. uh, do you have any plans, or are you already cooking up any plans uh, once Ori and Will the Wisps is out into the wild? Like, or do you already have another project that you guys are cooking up for the future? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I can say that. Um, we have been working on an, an, an announced title for quite some time. Um, and that is looking really good. Like, we're all really passionate about that already. Um, so basically, the idea right now, the plan is, well, 
when Will of the Wisp ships, um, that the entire team moves over to the next uh, to the next game, the game that um, some of our team has already been working on for for some time. So you guys already are already getting something ready for next gen. That's correct. All right. All right. All right. Very interesting. And I believe to end this all off, uh, Southbound. I believe you have a question lined up for Thomas. Yeah, it's not. It's not too too uh, in depth. I just uh, real quick. Is there somebody that really surprised you? Like that, that you you know? Because I know in the game industry, it's it's hum- humbling. Is there somebody that you really look up to or admire that came up to you and said, "Man, I really love Ori." That just it shocked you. You mean uh, uh, another developer? Yeah, and anybody, a developer, celebrity, just a regular Joe, anybody that you admire or look up. I to. mean, it's always it's always you know a huge thing, you know, because because as an as an artist, like once you show your thing, right, you make yourself really vulnerable, right? And I don't I don't know if you guys have been in that position, like if you if you have you know if you're musicians or or, or painters or ever wrote a book or anything, right? But Thomas, Thomas moment, none of us, yeah. none of us have any talent whatsoever. <laughs> I don't yeah, think that's that's so of you. I, I don't believe that everybody has some talent in something, right? Or like, look at the TXR podcast that you guys are running, right? I'm sure the first time you guys put that online, right, and kind of like spread the word that you're starting a podcast, that that response that you get, you know, is like that's really interesting, and that's what you have as an artist, right? That you. Especially if you work on something for as long as we work on our titles, like I mean, we are, I mean, we, we basically for an Ori game to make it, it basically takes us four years of time, and that's a long time again, like to be working on something. And then when you release it, it's such a, it puts you psychologically into such a weird state of, of complete vulnerability, right? Because, because suddenly, you know, from one moment to the other, you have people basically judging you and potentially, you know. I'll if say you your, how crazy it, we get on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> but but potentially, like, when that moment happens, right, it could ruin your career. If you fucked up oh, yeah. during that time, like, your career could be over right there, right? And so those moments of, like, people saying, hey, we really like this, or I really like the stuff that you guys did, right? And, I mean, we had tons of people doing that, like, I mean, at, at those parties and i'm not a huge party guy right but at those e3 parties and you you do meet people like tim schaefer and and um todd howard and and all those kind of people right and it's like now you're in midst of you know people like especially like tim schaefer i was i remember as a kid you know i played you know day of the tentacle and those kind of things and and suddenly you're standing there and you're like you know hey you know he knows your game all those like it's it's kind of like surreal or like you know having phil spencer being a huge Ori fan, right? Like those kind of things are just wow. You know, it's 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 overwhelming to a degree, which is why I love living in Vienna, where I'm away from that craziness <laughs> of LA and so on. I can just really isolate myself and just be an artist and work on something artistic, you know, and, and work with my team on something that I hope will be will be a landmark title and will really make people happy and will put a smile on their faces and hopefully will also make them cry and will make them go through all those emotions, right? And then shut up again, you know, and then be go out of the limelight and say, hey, I hope we made you guys happy. Give us a little bit of time and we'll do something again. What, what Beautiful. You know, Thomas, I think after all is said and done, um, you know, I think when, when Ori 2 come, finally comes out, 
and you know your name will be held as you know in the in the Todd Howards and and the Tim Schaefer. Tim Schaefer. You know, well, I don't know I think, about that. <laughs> I, think, I think I think you and your team uh, do an amazing job, amazing work. I'm really looking forward to uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and I'm sure the world is too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. I mean, to us the, the, in the studio, it's not necessarily about ego, right? Like the I mean, honest to God, like we don't we still, we still, and this is ridiculous, we still don't have a Moon Studios website, you know, like, because we never, to us, it's really just about creating these super polished products and really focusing all of our time and effort onto that and not necessarily like, hey, we, we need to be rock stars, right? Like I, I, I really just love the idea of, hey, there's a, there's a group of people out there and we are a distributed studio. We, we hire people from all around the world and we try to hire the best talent in the industry. So by now, we are 80 people from over 43 different countries, which is pretty nuts to me. Like we are, we are the most multicultural studio that you can imagine. Like we literally have people from all across the world working on Ori and, and, and our other game. And that's something that I'm really proud of. But it's, and, and, and I'd like to, like we'd like to have that studio culture where it's not about one person because one person, you know, isn't able to do everything, right? Like I, I, I'm right. working super hard. I'm doing as much as I can, right? Um, but, but at Moon, we're making the kind of games that none of us could do on our own, where it's where we make ourselves vulnerable and we're making it very clear to the team that, hey, this is a team effort, right? And all of you guys really matter because because at the end of the day, none of us could make an Ori on our, on our own, right? And it's this artistic piece that once we release it, it gets released because of the effort that those people put in, that they are passionate about something, that they're putting all that time and all that work and a huge part of their lives into creating something for the people out there, right? That to me is just such a magical thing, right? That we are... And that's why I said, like, hey, we're the luckiest people alive, right? Because we can work on things that really matter to us and yeah. that we really want to do. And and then we can release that. And and that's just, and getting paid for that, you know, and like having that as, a, as your career is just, I mean, unbelievable. And 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 that's the that's the that's the idea in the studio that it's not like, you know, it's it's never the Thomas show or something, right? Because I'd like to think that I come up with good ideas, you know, and, and so on. But but it's it's about everybody in the team, everybody really feeling passionate about the things that we're creating, everybody having a voice um, at Moon. Like, hey, everybody's voice matters, right? Like, it, I don't care if a good idea comes from someone in QA or something, right? Like, if, if it's a good idea, then it's worthy to be discussed, you know. And I mean, with my experience prior to working at Moon, um, where I, you know, as a freelancer and so on, I, I saw studios where it's where there's this very clear hierarchies, right? Where you have these ego plays <coughs> of some stupid director thinking, you know, I'm a big deal. I'm only doing the stuff that 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 I think is right. I, I hate that kind of attitude, right? Because it really, it really, like, most likely, you know, chances are you don't have all the best ideas in the world, even if you're super talented, right? Like even if you look at the great directors like a Steven Spielberg or so, right? Like you have to, you have to rely on people like a great uh, cinematographer, right? And if you right. if you don't have that, if you don't do that, you know, then you're an idiot, and you will probably not create something great, right? So mm -hmm. so that's kind of like the culture that we are, that we're trying to create at Moon. That 
everybody here you know comes to work and has a chance to work on something that is really special and that really means something to people and that's just that's beautiful oh. nice yeah collaboration is, is a beautiful thing Mm -hmm, absolutely now we're heading towards the end of our show but i'm curious thomas have you been playing any games recently oh my god yeah i, I don't have uh, almost any time right now um <laughs> it's it's really like the last six months were just a slaughter fest like i'm constantly just working 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 um let me see what have i played recently i mean right now i'm playing games that that i can play in smaller chunks um I just played through Horizon Chase Turbo, or whatever it's called, on the on the Switch. Like that's a little racing game that reminded me of Outrun. Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of quite cute. Um, was like super amazing, greatest thing ever, right? But that that was a thing that I quite enjoyed. And generally speaking, like I'm a huge fan of what From Software is doing. Like every now and then, I, I still oh, play yeah. Dark Souls and Bloodborne and those kind of things and play that because I love the design of those games. Like generally speaking. I'm huge on um, just studying game design and understanding level design to a degree that you know that 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 I don't see a lot in the industry right now. Generally, as I feel like level design is kind of like this this art form that isn't really properly honed by by the industry because a lot of the stuff out there is like open world stuff and, and a lot of times it's like eh, that level design you know like when i play games i'm like ah, level design wise that's just not good um well you picked so a great studio from from software is amazing oh they are yeah in terms of level designs and 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 the tightness of the designs that they're making um yeah, yeah it's, it's unbelievable i think generally right now a lot of japanese studios have that much better figured out like if you look at nintendo obviously right like i'm, I'm a huge <laughs> nintendo fan and you look at kind of like how they put their Zeldas and Marios together and so on. Like they really understand level design to a crazy degree. And generally speaking, I'm always attracted to games that have great level design. I think Arcane uh, is a studio out there that really puts a ton of uh, emphasis on level design and, you, mm -hmm. and it, it shows, you know, it, you really notice that. Whereas with a lot of other um, games, um, that's often not the case. And we actually always are looking for designers that, that really get it to that degree. I mean, especially us because Ori was hugely, like it was hugely important that the level design uh, had to be at such a high quality standard because you have, you know, Ori has to hold up as a platformer um, and has to be up there, you know, like we, we have to basically compete with Mario in terms of how good is our platforming, you know, like we are being, we are being rated basically on that level, right? And at the same time, well, it also has to be a Metroidvania and it also like now the combat has to be great. And by the way, the story has to be great and the puzzles need to be really good and all of that. So, so yeah, it's, I'm always interested in those kind of things in games where that tightness of, of, of design is there. All right. All right. Very cool. Uh, yeah. I think we all know what it means uh, to, you know, not having enough time in the day to play the games that we want, but certain ones certainly stand out. Um, but yeah, that about does it for tonight's show. And I think we all learned a lot from tonight's discussion. Oh, Thomas, yeah. Thomas, it was great having you on the show. We definitely love to have you back on at some point in the near future. Um, where can yeah. our 
viewers follow you on social media and when can everyone pick up Ori and the Will of the Wisps? Um, so the release date that we announced this February 11th, 2020, and, um, you can follow us on, on Twitter, like Ori the game and yeah, just on our Facebook channel, uh, just, um, yeah, it's, we got you. Easily be able to find it like Ori the game. We got you. We got you. Yeah. We'll no. link you. <laughs> awesome. We will definitely link you up. But yeah, it was wonderful having you on, and we are definitely pumped and looking forward to Ori and the Will of the Wisps. And I'm sure I everybody. Feel like, I kind of feel like I maybe talk too much, you know? I don't know. <laughs> but I hope people find it interesting. No, oh, not at absolutely all. Absolutely not. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward You're amazing, to the team. And, you know, I really appreciate everything you had to say, and, every, and I listen to you very closely. And, we all know, I probably speak for everybody here, that the first game won a few awards. And if this builds off the first game and, it, like you say, is going to be bigger and better than the first game, I really look forward to seeing you on stage a, a couple times this coming year, uh, basically being appreciated for all the hard effort that you and your team have put into this. Well, thank you so much. Let's hope that happens. Um, and also, guys, if you if you get to play the game um, in a few months, right, like, hey, just feel free to send me... Um, your response, right? Like I, I would, I'm always really interested in just hearing the fan feedback and so on, right? Like, hey, if you guys had, you know, any thoughts that you guys had, whether they be positive or negative, I would really appreciate the feedback. Will do. We will thank definitely you, get back to you on that, definitely. But yeah, again, thank you for being on. And also a big shout out to all of you that tuned in for tonight's show live. We had a really lively group tonight. Shizno Elite, UK Dazarus, the beer man was here. Delilah HD from very early on. Born Distracted, Mr. Kima, NLG Gaming, all kinds of really cool people joined us tonight. And uh, again, thank you everyone for tuning in. If you happen to enjoy tonight's interview, then share this video out, leave a like, and drop a comment down below. And also, don't forget to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and all kinds of other podcasting apps. Links down below to get your TXR on the go. Guys, again, great show. Now to kick off to the outros, uh, Southbound, where can everybody find you at? You can find me on Twitter, at Southbound110. You can find me on Xbox Live, Southbound110. All right. All right. Jeremy, where can everybody find you, Mr. Montana Man? Only on Twitter, uh, Lone Master Who 07. You can find me there. Perfect. Shock, where can everybody find you? Yeah, you can find me at uh, at Shock Nero on Twitter. Uh, and thanks again, for thanks again, Thomas, for uh, joining us with that interview. For sure, guys. I, I really appreciate the chance to come on here and speak a little bit about you know our projects and the Orient of Swiss with you. Totally. And Centurion, great show tonight, bud. Where can everybody find you? Well, I'm all over the place on numerous shows, writing for multiple websites now, as you guys all know. So you guys can find links to all my social media and Xbox Live on legionofgamer.com, along with links to everybody on this show other than our guest. Fantastic, fantastic. What a great guest he was. Now, of course, I am Invader. You can find me on my YouTube channel, Invader Gaming. And, of course, I'm pretty active on Twitter at Invader underscore 1986. Again, guys, great show. And, uh, yeah, we hope to see you tune in next week. 
Have a good night, fellas.